0: Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I'm Scott. And I'm David. And we are very thankful that you're listening to us today. We are continuing uh, to study together Richard Baxter's Reformed Pastor. We took a little bit of a break and went through some of the prayers from the Valley of Vision, and now we're back into the work of uh, finishing up this book. And uh, we will start today, Chapter 2. Now, the title of this chapter is The Oversight of of the flock and it is uh it is going to be more intentional if you remember it's been a few episodes chapter one was uh was really about the oversight of the of yourself about how in in being a pastor our first role and objective is to care for our own souls to be sure that we have a right understanding and application of the gospel And now it looks like we're going to be moving outward a little bit and thinking about the care and oversight of other people. So I'm going to hand it over to David, and uh, we'll read for a little bit, and then we'll stop uh, where we can and talk
1: about what we're reading. All righty, so the nature of this oversight. Having showed you what it is to take heed to yourselves, I am to show you next what it is to take heed to all the flock. It was first necessary to take into consideration what we must be and what we must do for our own souls before we, can, before we come to that which must be done for others. He cannot succeed in healing the wounds of others who is himself unhealed by reason of neglecting himself. He neither benefits his neighbors nor himself. He does not raise up others, but himself falls, yea, lest all his labors come to naught, because his heart and life are not that doth perform them. For some persons there are who, though expert in spiritual ministry, go about it in a headstrong manner, and while acting intelligently, tread underfoot any good they do. They teach too hurriedly what can only be rendered holy by meditation, and what they proclaim in public they impugn, by their conduct, whence it is that as pastors they walk in paths too rugged for the flock to follow. When we have led them to the living waters, if we muddy it by our filthy lives, we may lose our labor, and they be never the better. Before we speak of the work itself, we shall notice somewhat that is presupposed in the words
0: before us. Yeah, so kind of a, of an overview of what we've already talked about. A couple of things that stuck out to me. What a great sentence! He cannot succeed in healing the wounds of others who is himself unhealed by reason of neglecting himself. And that is that is key. You know, some of Baxter's accusations are not simply that men are unconverted; it's that men cease to love Christ. And, and, and that, is a, that is a disqualifying thing, really. I mean, ultimately, our love for Christ flows into the ministry that we do for the flock. And so, so that one really kind of stood out for me. And, uh, and, and then the, the expert in spiritual ministry go about in a headstrong manner. And while acting intelligently, tread underfoot any good they do. It's, uh, it's always worth reminding ourselves as pastors that our work is to the glory of God, but our work is people, mm. right? I know a lot of really smart guys who, quite honestly, just kind of stink with people. And you can be as smart as you want to, but if you stink with people, this is a hard work. Like it, it would be—I I can't imagine it would be nearly impossible to 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 not. You know, it's one thing to desire to improve. It's one thing to be an introvert. I'm not talking about introverted people. I'm talking about folks who really just don't consider the humanity of the people that you're ministering to. And so he he, he makes some some great warnings about that. So David what you got? Yeah,
1: I mean the the illustration, you know, how can we bring them to uh, how can we bring them to the waters of spiritual life and then muddy them ourselves with our lives I think is just such a a potent illustration. Mm -hmm. You know, that you know how can we expect them to drink deeply uh, when we, when our lives don't encourage them to do so. Right. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's good. It's good.
1: So continuing on, it is here implied that every flock should have its own pastor and every pastor his own flock. As every troop or company in a regiment of soldiers must have its own captain and other officers and Every, every soldier knows his own commander and colors. So it is the will of God that every church should have its own pastor, and that all Christ's disciples should know their teachers that are over them in the Lord. Though a minister is an officer in the church universal, yet is he in a special manner the overseer of that particular church which is committed to his charge. When we are ordained ministers without a special charge, we are licensed and commanded to do our best for all as we shall have opportunity for the exercise of our gifts. But when we have undertaken a particular charge, we have restrained the exercise of our gifts so specially to that congregation that we must allow others no more than it can spare of our time and help, except where the public good requireth. which must no doubt be first regarded. From this relation of pastor and flock arise all the duties which they mutually owe to each other. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting the way he ends that, that there are duties which which the pastor owes the flock, but also duties which the flock owes to the pastor. I'm interested to see him... I'm interested to see him hash that out in yeah. the in the rest of the chapter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. You know, so ultimately, there's this picture that the 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 pastor uh, that a church should have a pastor, which doesn't doesn't sound super controversial in our day. But you got to understand, in the day of Baxter, you know, Baxter himself pastored multiple churches. I wish I could remember how many, uh, but he was going from church to church, and ultimately longed for the day when when other pastors would be raised up to to supply those places. And so it doesn't seem to fit us contextually now because, you know, we've we've got it's 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 pretty normal for a church to have a pastor, if not more than one pastor. And so so it's helpful just to think about history when you read that paragraph and what he's after there is, you know, you, you as a church should should have a guy. It's important to have a guy. Yeah. All yeah. right, so point 2 is really long. So we're going to try to figure out a spot to stop somewhere in here. But if you're following along with us and we get to point two, if you're flipping ahead to pages, I doubt we're going to get all this done today. We're probably going to come back and finish some more of it later. So, all right, David, you ready? But we'll continue
1: on. That's right. Let's do it. When we are commanded to take heed to all the flock, it is plainly implied that flocks must ordinarily be no greater Than we are capable of overseeing or taking heed to, God will not lay upon us natural impossibilities. He will not bind men to leap up to the moon, to touch the stars, or to number the sands of the sea. If the pastoral office consists in overseeing all the flock, then surely the number of souls under the care of each pastor must not be greater than he is able to take such heed to as is here required. Will God require one bishop to take the charge of a whole country, or of so many parishes, or thousands of souls, as he is not able to know or to oversee? Yea, and to take the sole government of them, while the particular teachers of them are free from that undertaking." Will God require the blood of so many parishes at one man's hands if he do not that which ten or twenty or a hundred or three hundred men can no more do? Then I can, move a mount- I can move a mountain, then, woe to poor prelates. Is it not, then, a most doleful case that learned, sober men should plead for this as a desirable privilege? that they should willfully draw on themselves such a burden, and that they do not rather tremble at the thoughts of so great an undertaking? Oh, happy had it been for the church, and happy for the bishops themselves, if this measure that is intimidated by the apostle here had still been observed, that the diocese had been no greater than the elders or bishops could oversee and rule so that they might have taken heed to all the rock, or that pastors had been multiplied as churches increased, and the number of overseers had been proportioned to the number of souls, that they might not have let the work be undone, while they assumed the empty titles and undertook impossibilities, and that they had rather prayed the Lord of the harvest to send forth more laborers, even so many as were proportioned to the work, and not to have undertaken all themselves. I should scarcely commend the prudence or humility of that laborer. Let his parts be ever so great that would not only undertake to gather in all the harvest in this country himself, and that upon pain of death, yea, of damnation, that would also earnestly contend for this prerogative.
0: Okay, so this, when you read this paragraph and you think about it now, this is a controversial sort of paragraph. And the reason that it is is kind of the first sentence. flocks must ordinarily be no greater than we are capable of overseeing.
1: Which doesn't sound like a particularly divisive sentence until you think about... Multi-site churches. Yeah, until you think about the implications of that
0: sentence. Think about churches... That have thousands upon thousands of members, mm-hmm. and none of those members are personally known by any of the pastors. Mm-hmm. Like that, that Baxter's not a fan. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's,
1: he's not for that he, model of he, ministry. He he doesn't seem to be in favor. Of, yeah. of
0: that of that that particular model of ministry. No, yeah, the one that got me. If the pastoral office consists in overseeing all the flock which is not really an if, right? Like he's kind of saying, <laughs> look, the pastoral ministry consists in overseeing all the flock. Then surely the number of souls under the care of each pastor must not be greater than he is able to take such heed to as is here required. In other words, you shouldn't have more people than you can care for. Mm. And what happens when a church grows to the point that it has more people than it can care for? Well, then that's kind of where the rest of the, the rest of this kind of comes into play when it, one of two things happens. He, he talks really about one of them. One, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up more elders. You know, we we pray here, Austin, I pray here daily for God to raise up more elders in this church because by God's grace, as we continue to grow, there's going to be greater and greater need for more people to do the work. And, and we need that and praise God for that. And that's one approach. The other one is, you know, at some point you got to figure out when, when do you send those people away to start another church? You know, like how, how do you how do you reach the point where you go, okay, I can't care for any more people than this? And that's almost an inconceivable idea in Western thought. Mm. Yeah,
1: to, to just stop and say I cannot however you finish that sentence, yeah it is really difficult in the American mindset yes. to stop and say, I cannot do XYZ. Yes. You know, however however you finish that, it, it's I mean, we see it in the working world, we see it at homes, we
0: see it in the church. Yeah, so it's like point one of or the first big thing that Baxter is getting to in the oversight of the flock is you need to oversee the flock. <laughs> and you can't you can't shepherd sheep you don't know. Mm. You cannot shepherd sheep you don't know. Yeah. You know, it's so much of our, our preaching ministry, for instance, is 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 really made more powerful by the fact that we know the people to whom we are preaching you know it was i don't remember who told me this it was, it was it was somebody i i remember it being somebody that i would consider a mentor in ministry and they said to me your preaching will get better the longer you're at a church but it's only partly because you're a better preacher it, it's it's also because the people know you they know your heart they know you love them they you've been there to baptize their you know their family members and you've you've buried people and you've married people and you've walked through the slog of day-to-day life with these people and when you've been needed you've been there and so they will listen to what you have to say about the bible because they know you care and that that is I mean, that's the joy of pastoral ministry honestly is to have been to stay at a place long enough where you don't you don't realize like I've been here long enough now then I noticed I had this happen this weekend and I'm not going to say who this was because I would never do that on a podcast, but I will never, it just occurred to me, um, looking at one of the members of our church and thinking oh, they have gray hair because eight years ago they didn't Mm. and realizing, yeah, I've been here to see that hair turn gray, you know or to watch the kids in our church and to have seen them grow and mature and the reality is every Christian soul needs a church that has pastors who know really know the people what are they afraid of what do they love what are they passionate about what are they you know what what motivates them what drives them what are they you know what are their dreams for the future what are their hopes if you have a church that is too large or you are a pastor that does not take the time to do those things then you are then everything else really in chapter 2 is probably just going to roll off your back you're not really going to pay much attention to what Baxter has to say because Baxter is really going to be predicating Everything else in this book and this chapter on the fact that you should know your people and your people should know you, which is which is a terrifying prospect. When you look at a membership role, if we as pastors look at a membership role and go, I don't know that person, that should be an alarm going off. That's a sheep in the flock that is not being shepherded by the under shepherd. And it is sin on the part of the pastors. and that's why membership matters it's why ministry matters and so so that one paragraph really kind of sets us off on the course for a whole lot of the other stuff that Baxter's going to say yeah. so can we get Rick, can we well, get this next one before oh come on before then i mean
1: i also love I also love Baxter's point you know, he he comes he comes to us and says god will not lay upon us natural impossibilities yes you know, that, that Baxter's underlying assumption here is God requires this of you. God requires this of you and your relationship to the flock. Mm. And so God is not going to require you to do something that is physically impossible. Right. That He will not require you to, and you know, He says part of the way through the chapter, do the work of which 10, 20, or 100, or 300 men can no more do. Mm. You know, that that God would not require that. And so yeah, he, he comes he he says, Whoa you know, we would rather see more men raised up to do the work. You know, I heard said a long time ago, and I think it's true, it it is better it is better to teach ten men to do the work than to do the work of ten men. You know, that it is it is better to be teaching others than it is to be actually out there doing the work that so many other people could be doing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's easy to say and and hard to practice. Right, it is much harder to it is much harder to live that principle out than it is to just say sure. it on a podcast.
0: Sure, and in and in the life of the pastor, the work is shepherding the flock. Right, mm-hmm. that is the work, and so the so the principle stands true. Like we have to constantly be asking who else could do this thing that I'm doing mm-hmm. so that I can shepherd the flock you know it's an act 6 sort of principle right it's 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 the, the apostles realizing that prayer and ministry of the word was their work and I need to be free to be able to do those things and so I'm going to appoint men and we're blessed to have men who gladly take numbers of responsibilities of things that I don't even have to think about that happen just without me even thinking about them and 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 as God continues to to grow a church spiritually as he He chooses to grow a church numerically and all of those things we're looking to equip the saints for the work of service Mm -hmm. but we can't outsource the oversight of the flock that doesn't get to be delegated Mm -hmm. that's on us Mm -hmm. well we're uh, we're almost 20 minutes in so let's do this we'll pick up here next time Um, so yeah well chapter 2 is thick as is the rest of the book, but this is uh, this is important stuff. You know these these conversations. Hopefully, if you're here, you're a member of our congregation. It, it helps give you some kind of insight into the things that we have to talk about and think about, the things that we love to talk about and think about mm-hmm. in regards to ministry. And we've said often we want you to pray for us, and this is uh, a primary way you can pray for us. The the work of ministry is a constant decision of good versus best. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think Baxter's going to reveal that out to all of us. So thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch it again next week. We're going to pick up right here in Richard Baxter's Reform Pastor. Thank you guys again.
1: Thank you. Goodbye.